here we are in February, the first Friday in February. So it's time for our Sourced Week in Review podcast. Jordan McDonald, welcome. Hi, Michael. I saw something the other day, one of those year counters that said 9% of the year is gone. Is it that Twitter one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd have followed that since last year. It's quite good, isn't it? It is good. It 9% is good. gone mm. already. 9%. It's but more than I thought. Yeah. So let's tick along quick. We're days away from 10%. With 9% of the year gone, that means though that when we look back on the week that's gone and all of these audience engagement areas that we talk about, that mm. means the television ratings year has begun. It has. So all of those ads that we were bombarded with through the summer of sport, tennis and cricket, yeah. the TV shows, they're now happening. So... For a week in Jordan, what are we watching and what does that say about us in terms of what we're interested in as a nation? Who's done well in the ratings and who hasn't done well? Well, um, we know it hasn't really changed that much. News, reality TV, sport, they continue to dominate the ratings. Um, we'll start on the Monday, which is you know the first official day of the ratings there. Uh, that all the major networks they launched their big shows as you mentioned, which we saw all the all the lovely ads for over the sport. <laughs> they did because uh, we sort of waited for the Australian Open yes. tennis to finish on Sunday night, yes. and Monday everyone ran a mark. Yep. So seven and nine um, from that Monday, obviously their bulletins did did the the best in terms of ratings. They topped the list, but. Um, Seven launched their the revamped Aussie classic Australian Idol, but it only attracted about four hundred thirteen thousand, which I reckon they would be a little right. disappointed about. Yep. Ten then launched um, their competitor Survivor, which attracted a few more at four hundred forty-seven thousand. But the clear favourite, which isn't surprising, at least to me, was Channel Nine's Married at First Sight, which pulled in a pretty big eight hundred forty thousand. But um. They actually gave us some figures if you factored in streaming numbers yeah, on top of, of this. And I like to look at that every time I look at the ratings, yep. if they're available. Um, so if you factor in streaming, maths hit about 1.2 million, Survivor 610,000 and Idol 711,000. Okay, so we sort of had a competition there between maths and Survivor and mm-hmm. Australian Idol. I watched none of them, mm-hmm. so I can't give any comment. Jordan, did you watch any? Yeah, I've watched all the maths for sure. Maths. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, a bit pathetic in that way. <laughs> um, yeah, me, me and Shan sit down the, on the couch and just, you know, hurl our thoughts at the television. Well, that's uh, quite <laughs> cathartic. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, look, it's there to be commentated, I, of I course think, it so is. at least. <laughs> of course. Um, what else did we watch during the week? Uh, during the week, we also had um, the new host of A Current Affair, Ali Langdon. She had her first show and that did quite well, 639,000. Australians tuned in to see how okay. she fit in the job. Um, you know, Harry and Megan still doing work. Of course uh, they are. Yeah, the Channel 9 did a special called uh, The Great Divide and that attracted 343,000. <laughs> the Great Divide as in the Royals fighting and being... Yeah, yeah. huge divide. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the, the staple, the Channel 7 staple, Home and Away, is consistently just doing well. It's amazing. I don't think it ever will not do well. Keeps on trucking. Yep, but um, look, it, it's a pretty similar story throughout the week. Mass continued to dominate. They saw some decreased viewership throughout the week and that's only because 
the weddings got more boring. Let's be honest. They just the characters were less <laughs> controversial. Right. Um, so that's that was to be expected. But I reckon I'm tipping there's going to be a nice spike come Monday. It's the first big dinner party where they all get on the uh, on the drink and start okay. getting a bit, get into each other a bit. Start analysing each other. I don't like the show that much. I'm sure you can tell. <laughs> um, Survivor and Australian Idol, they were neck and neck pretty much the whole week this week. But, um, you know, again, still relatively small audiences, 350,000 to 380,000. But um, a surprising win this week and a surprising winner for viewers was the Brisbane Heat's win over the Sydney Sixers last night, which was watched by 350,000 people. So very good. And Jordan, that brings us to a special guest. He's been on our Sourced podcast before. He's the guru, the Courier Mail's chief sports writer, Robert Craddock Crash. Welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be back, Mickey. Always, always a joy to speak to you. Oh, and to you, Crash. And we bring you in on that Brisbane Heat one because what an astonishing turnaround, Crash, for the Big Bash. Now we've spoken before on our podcast about where the Big Bash is has gone in recent times is this talk about the seasons too long and um, you know it's it's lost its uh, its appeal but all of a sudden the big bash has done great numbers fox sports for whom you've worked for so long mm. is re- reporting some really good numbers crash what has turned it around well it's a good point it has turned around before christmas there was word that Cricket Australia wanted to seal the next television rights deal before the Big Bash started they were, because they were worried about the numbers and having another bad season. And uh, it's been anything but. Ratings have been up about 30%. If you said really quickly so that what's changed, uh, crowds are up after COVID and, and, and the Big Bash needs crowds. It needs to feel that electric crackle. I was critical of having five teams in the final, but guess what? It kept everyone engaged right down to the last games. There was a, can they make the final? So it worked. And the fifth team, Brisbane Heat, are in the final. Um, Brisbane Heat's late charge was great. The standard of imports was good. Not necessarily super names, but good. And here's an underestimated one. I feel that the DRS has helped the umpires this year and it's taken... It's, it's in, increased the dignity of the competition. Nothing looks worse than a comp than all these umpire errors. It just makes it look slapstick. So there's about three or four features why the Big Bash has revived this year. Gee, Crash, you've got uh, some thinking there. That's some great points. I hadn't thought about the DRS, uh, Decision Review System. But have you seen this before, Crash? And we've seen over the years, obviously, when different... I guess competitions or even sports have flagged a bit and they haven't really revived. Have you seen this type of revival before? No, I'll be totally honest. I thought it was gone. I'd stopped watching a lot of it. And and my job is cricket writer and and I was doing most of the internationals, but I'd just gone cold at Big Bash. Now I became fascinated by neutral games, which were not even involving the Brisbane Heat. So I think it was a uh, – I didn't expect it to happen – but oh, the other thing that happened, I think, was significant. Close games, which were good, and controversy. Early in the season, uh, the Thunder were bowled out for 15. Michael Nisa had a catch where he ran over the boundary and tossed the ball back. Yes, and in course. the first week of the competition, there were these really fizzling discussion points. 
And everyone was sort of, oh, the Big Bash. You know, it was one of our game last night, close finish. And then the net got through over people and the interest grew. I have to say, I've loved it. I think it's a really wonderful result. I'm so, so happy to be talking about it. Speaking of results, Crash, who do you reckon is going to win the final? Well, it's going to be 38 degrees, uh, Jordan. So I, I, I still think the Brisbane, I spoke to Jim Pearson this morning, and I reckon Brisbane can pull off an upset because yeah. they're loose as a goose. They, 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 they've overachieved. They're, they're going it. there without all this pressure. They're loving it. They're, they're celebrating the fact that everyone thought they were gone a week and a half ago, and here they are. So if a guy like Spencer Johnson bowling those 145-kilometre thunderbolts can just take a couple of early wickets, I'm telling you, the purse scorches are beatable. Yep, I reckon I agree. Crash, great to have you on, as always. Thanks so much for your time, and we're looking forward to the final tomorrow night. Can't wait. Thanks for having us, guys. Appreciate it. Another interesting thing this week, Jordan, Mm -hmm. was the federal government's release of its new national cultural policy. I'm Mm. doing sort of air quotes there when I say national culture. Revive, is it? It's called Revive. Revive, It's been given a name. Make of that what you will. Mm -hmm. But that brought up uh, more on a topic that we flagged on our Week in Review podcast last year, which is local content quotas Mm -hmm. for streaming services. So the international streaming services, if you like, the Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, they don't currently have local content requirements, whereas the free-to-air broadcasters do, your 7s and your 9s, your 10, and also Foxtel as a pay TV operator. So we brought this up in our podcast last year when Amazon said it was reviving, there's that word again, Neighbours. So Neighbours... Not taken out of the freezer, neighbours dug up from six feet under the ground. (laughs) I thought it was gone. (laughs) The corpse was having life breathed back into (laughs) it. But, of course, as we said at the time, that is is looked at through the prism of when will there be local content quotas, and that's an easy one for Amazon to pump out regular local content. So under the revived policy, Labor Mm. has said that international streamers will be required to reinvest revenue back into local productions. Yet we still don't know what that figure will be because there are still ongoing negotiations. Now, the Arts Minister, Tony Burke, and the Communications Minister, Michelle Rowland, say they will consult with these big streaming services in the first half of this year with an aim to enforcing a local content quota in July 2024. So what does Netflix think, as an example? They put a statement out which says Netflix's position is clear. We don't oppose regulation, but we do want it to be sustainable, equitable and evidence-based. We look forward to positive consultation with the government on Revive to shape media regulation that creates good outcomes for Australian storytellers and audiences. Mm -hmm. So... This debate is what is this figure going to be? Well, it's tipped to be somewhere between 5 and 20% of revenue right. of these streamers within this country mm-hmm. will have to be tipped back into local productions. Now, the local industry wants 20% mm-hmm. of that local revenue. Of course it does. Interestingly, France and Italy have 20% rules in place there. Okay. Now, this will have to go through the Australian Parliament and that's where things will get tricky there. 
The Greens, of course, want a figure of 20%. The only surprising point there is that they don't want the figure to be higher. Mm -hmm. Now, some smart people in the industry think 20% is unworkable because there's also the issue of costs of production potentially soaring according to how high the figure may be. There are only so many uh, studios and so many workers in this country in the field. So if demand goes up because the government says you've got to have this significant spend, well, so does the cost of doing business and producing that content. But that's what happens when governments intervene in markets. Yes, you can make a very good argument there should be a quota to ensure that Australian stories are told. It's very important. However, it's just how high you make that quota. Now, some critics are even calling here for regulation in finding that the local content on the homepage of streaming services just to ensure they're not making garbage that gets buried, basically. So uh, if you're starting to get into that field where you're telling these streaming services how they've got to structure their their homepages, you're letting the government get its fingers into the pie at a level that is not acceptable. So good luck with it all. Mm. There's no doubt Jordan will talk about this again because this is a really (coughs) interesting discussion. But one other part of it this week uh, in this field has been the release of numbers about what Australians are doing with streaming services. And these are really interesting numbers that you've come across. Yeah, and there was a good article that popped up in the Fin Review this week and it it claims that Australians have cancelled 1.3 million streaming accounts in the December quarter. Now, this story is based off findings from a survey, survey sorry, by data analytics company Cantar. And I think there's some really valuable insights in this article, so I just wanted to share a few of the highlights. Um, so, yeah, look, but like we opened with, it is 1.3 million Aussies have apparently cancelled their streaming accounts in December in the December quarter, but that's been offset by the addition of 490,000 accounts which were added into Aussie households. Now, the number of cancellations was interesting. It was led by Apple TV. They had a churn rate of 22%, which is quite high. Yeah. Uh, Optisport followed with a churn rate of 20%, and then YouTube Premium was third with a churn rate of 18%. Um, obviously, Netflix is the, you know, sort of the, the measuring stick, and Netflix only had a churn rate of 3%. In, uh, in other good news for them, though, the, the data claims that um, 16% of the new Netflix subscriptions, which would be part of that 490,000 in that quarter, were for its cheaper ad-supported service. Okay, that's interesting because we were talking about how that ad-supported tier would go. So those figures are higher than I thought, as is that Netflix only a 3% churn. That's lower than I thought. It is low. It is very low. But um, look, we know Netflix, it's it's still the dominant platform. Amazon, Disney Plus follow, but that's at a generous gap. Um, But another really interesting finding in this article was the average number of streaming accounts that Australian households operate. And we both thought this was quite interesting. If you're a house with a streaming subscription, the survey claims that the average household with that subscription has actually 3.5 streaming services, which is a lot higher than I thought. Yeah, that's higher than I thought. So, I mean, that's uh, three and a half. So, and maybe they're churning between those. Maybe it's Perhaps. three and a half and that churn is, you know, moving from one to another, like Apple TV. I quite like Apple TV. It's in a bundle I've got. So, mm. um, but I can see why it's, it churns because it's got a smaller uh, catalogue than the others. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that 3.5 is mentioned in the article because 
the number after the December quarter, so that 3.5 actually decreased to 3.4 in that December report. So it's it's been suggested that maybe people are going, well, maybe I need to part ways with one, or they're starting to think about that a bit more. That, that cost of living stress and, you know, the continued inflation that we're all feeling the pretty tight squeeze from, you know, platform streaming platforms aren't as cheap as they, they used yep. to be when we first signed That's up. Right. You know, six or seven bucks. Yeah. They're, they're double digits now. That's so right. Getting the mid, mid-teens. That's exactly it. But, um, look, for the rest of the article, I looked at some of the other platforms. Prime Video was the most successful in, in terms of who, who added the most subscribers in that December quarter. Lord Par- of the Rings, I'm guessing, yes, was Yes, there. there's a big yeah. driver. Um, Paramount Plus, Disney Plus and Binge followed um the main driving factors were value for money and content so like you mentioned lord of the rings as as a really strong content piece um there were two very late finds in that article which i thought were really interesting the survey found that one in four streaming households plan to cancel a service in the next three months and also a far higher than average portion of people who cancelled netflix subscriptions said that it was because they need to save money so obviously the price point of the streaming services and the pinch from inflation is starting to hurt a bit. But based on those numbers, I think we'll be talking again in about three months' time about some additional and further cuts to subscriptions. Well, that's the thing. We've got a Reserve Bank meeting coming up on Tuesday, which I think the market is pricing in an 80% likelihood that interest rates will increase again. Mm -hmm. I think we'll learn so much about where we're at in the next 12 months here because we think these streaming services are such a good barometer of, you know, how people are, are travelling in terms of, uh, you know, some of those uh, decisions you make about what you can afford and can't afford. Yep. I'm also interested in the, I guess, the peak subscription model here. So uh, peak subscription theory, I really should say. Yeah. So peak subscription is a theory where the amount of people who are likely to have subscribed to you already have. Yeah. And that's a problem I think that media outlets in Australia are dealing with right now in terms of, you know, if they've hit peak subscription, that Mm -hmm. is, you know, they're really at a figure where, you know, they're going to stay at that figure at best because the people who would have subscribed to a online news service in Australia probably already have. Mm -hmm. Um, So then it actually changes your mindset to say well we're not so much in the acquisition phase now as we are in the keeping our existing subscribers happy phase and they're very different ways to approach how you do things so again this is such an interesting space we'll keep an eye on that now interesting spaces jordan of course meta and facebook and it's that time of the year again where we've got some new results out from meta what have they told us Yep, it's Q, quarter four report time. Meta's results are pretty good. I'm sure Zuck's feeling pretty good about it. Uh, their Q4 revenue was up, uh, sorry, down 4% compared to last year. They had $32.2 billion US. But it's been seen as positive because it's at the top end of its guidance and better than what analysts expected. Uh, the company also cut its expenses outlook for the year by about $5 billion US and it's announced an additional US $40 billion for share buybacks. Um, but the more important things and the things that interest me more than the frigging share buybacks, I must admit, <laughs> um, would be the daily active and monthly active users because that's a really interesting measure um, across all the meta apps. Facebook 
notably saw a 4% increase in daily active users wow. year on year and 2% in increase in the monthly active users year on year. So look, there's a fair bit of good news there and it's certainly done wonders for Meta's market value. The shares jumped 19% in their after hours trading. Oh, sorry, trading. That's a good jump. It's a pretty significant jump and if that holds on, uh, it'll add a very handy 76 billion US to its market <laughs> value, which I reckon they would be pretty happy about considering they lost about 89 billion in that quarter three. But um, Zuck is pleased on the management call to discuss the report. He said his theme for this year is efficiency. He's really focused on removing some layers of middle management, cutting down these low-performing projects, and then deploying artificial intelligence to help his engineers be more productive. And straight away, I'm wondering if our listeners have their ears are perked <laughs> up at the artificial intelligence. Yes. Because we've spoken about that a bit, and that's what certainly got me interested in the back end of this article. He, uh, Zach, when I say he's spending a fair bit of money on AI and he believes it's starting to pay off. You know, it's helped Meta platforms serve up more relevant content into their newsfeed. It's actually made their reels, uh, you know, competitive products a bit better. Um, he went on to say he hopes Meta will evolve and become a leader in AI, but um, look, we'll be, it'll be interesting to see what he does with the AI products that are available and in that current market. But overall, a pretty rare moment of relief for Meta and for Zuck. Yeah, that AI, we keep talking about that. It's going to mm. keep coming up and you know, I'm sure all media outlets are watching those Facebook results or Meta results to see what's happening. Jordan, we're going to close with a new segment I feel yeah. as though we need some sort of sting, as they say, or some sound effect. Oh, there's a sting in my eyes, some of these. <laughs> this, this is what is on the cover of mm. our women's magazines. Now, I say that because they've always been called women's magazines, but is that still correct, Jordan? Uh, I'm not sure, but for the purpose of this segment, that's what we're going to call it right now. Okay, so yep. this comes about only because I was standing in line to pay for some petrol mm. and I saw the row of women's magazines, which I just hadn't seen for a while, but they are a barometer into what some people are watching. So that's the only reason we're going to put this in every now and again into the Week in Review podcast because it's just an idea of you know, these magazines for years and years have tapped into topics that a whole bunch of Australians find interesting. So this will be a very short part but it's a way to see what is interesting. Jordan, I'm starting with Woman's Day. Okay, yeah. This week. Now, I haven't looked at these women's magazines for so long. You sure? I used to have to look at them when I was cheaper staff for the mm. newspaper. I used to get a subscription. <laughs> I did every week because I was cheaper staff no, and I had yeah. to know. You could blame it on the job, so that's fair enough. Yeah, well, they came in and there I was reading <laughs> these magazines for my work. Oh, now, bet. I haven't looked at them for a long time, but I'm sure the last time I did, mm. Leighton Hewitt and Beck Hewitt were on the front cover, as they are today, because apparently Beck's moving to America, I'm told. Right. In very big capital letter fonts with a massive exclamation mark at the end. Now, also, we've got uh, a story about Carl Stefanovic and the Today Show. Apparently, Carl's new co-host has issued a shock ultimatum. Okay. Again, with an exclamation mark, mm. because you need them. Uh, actually, I tell you what, there are four... There's every, five headlines on this page. Six. Yeah. Six headlines on the front cover, and they've all got exclamation marks besides one, mm. which mustn't be a good story at all. Mustn't be. And the other one I want to mention is, of course, it's the Royals... And Princess Anne is taking charge, Jordan. She's taking charge with a quote here. 
which I don't think she said, but it's got quote marks, which says... <laughs> Must be true. Leave Harry to me. Yep. Okay, so that's Woman's Day for this weekend. It sounds like an absolute cracker. Jordan, new idea. Yeah, Take it away. Yeah, yeah, well, pick it up right off the royal theme. That is definitely the main uh, subject of this front cover. We've got King's Coronation guest list leaked in, uh, in giant white font with another exclamation mark. Megan Band. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, big news. So that's you know, contentious. Uh, going around, you've got another Carl Stefanovic-related uh, story, which also includes Michael Clark, and it's added again. And shock picks. Shock picks. That's, I missed the bubble, honestly. This, it's so overwhelming, these covers. You miss a bit. They are. Um, we have Lisa Marie's Final Joy, Secret Presley Grandchild. Underneath that, I feel like chicken tonight. Must yes. try recipes. Very important. Yes. And then, and then uh, what we got? Married at first sight. What are they hiding? One for you there. Yeah, A fair big enough. math story. And look, we put the Who magazine alongside here as well. It's a bit different, has always been that. But on there, it turns out Olivia and Jason are back together. I have no idea who <laughs> Olivia and <laughs> who Jason are. are they? But I'm happy for them. They're Good. back together and that's yeah. great news. What's the weekend like, Jordan? Weekend for me is pretty quiet. It's uh, the old boy's birthday today. Oh, really? Yes. So, wow. yes. I know the, my brothers are going out for dinner with him, and I'm trying to catch him across the weekend because I've got a friend's birthday today first. Okay. Um, but then, yeah, it'll be a work weekend and visit dad weekend. I but shall um, send your dad a message. Um, enjoy the weekend. You too.